Hi, I'm Kiara, and you're listening to Kiara Gets Drunk and Talks About Music, the podcast where we, you guessed it, get drunk and talk about music. In this episode, we will be discussing Abbey Road by The Beatles, released in September 1969 under Apple Records. When it comes to notoriety, no other musical act can even come close to The Beatles. Arguably one of the most recognizable, successful, and influential rock bands on the planet, the Fab Four from Liverpool created a timeless body of work in the 10 short years they were together. But Abbey Road carries significant weight as the last album the group recorded together before disbanding in 1970. The Beatles, as we know, are comprised of four members who all take turns when it comes to lead vocals and songwriting duty. However, the standard lineup features John Lennon on vocals and guitar, Paul McCartney on vocals and bass, George Harrison on lead guitar, and Ringo Starr on drums. Lennon is credited with the inception of the band at the age of 16, and he was soon joined by McCartney and Harrison, with Starr replacing their original drummer in 1962. I could go into the details of the incredible chain of events that followed the Fab Four after that. Beatlemania, A Hard Day's Night, The White Album, the list goes on and on. But for now, let's focus on Abbey Road. The album was recorded over seven months in London and produced by George Martin, who is also known as the Fifth Beatle. He signed the group to their first major label and worked very closely with them throughout their career. Speaking of Fifth Beatles, Yoko Ono, Lennon's wife at the time, was a permanent fixture at the Abbey Road sessions, leading to a great deal of tension between Lennon and the rest of the band. Harrison described the months recording this album feeling like reaching the end of the line. Nevertheless, Abbey Road may just be the most impressive body of work the Beatles produced. The 10-track record encompasses rock, pop, psychedelics, and blues, and includes two medleys, each comprised of three thematic songs. However, at the time, the critics were less than enthused. Rolling Stone called the collection complicated, and the New York Times hailed it as nothing special. But Abbey Road was a commercial success, selling 4 million copies in its first two months, hitting 9 million copies by 1992. And after Apple launched the band's discography on the iTunes store, it surpassed 31 million copies around the globe, making it one of the best-selling Beatles albums of all time. Today, as an ode to the label that brought Abbey Road to life, Apple Records, we will be drinking Apple Martinis. Hi, you are listening to Kiara Gets Drunk and Talks About Music. Today we are talking about the Beatles' classic 1969 album, Abbey Road. And my guest is Ethan. Yeah. Ethan, what's up? Nothing much. What's up with you? Just, you know, living the dream. (laughs) The dream is what I'm living. Yeah, man. Uh, So, Ethan, you're my first family member that I've had on the pod. Yes, yes. You are my younger brother. I'm your uncle. What? No, younger (laughs) brother. Yeah, I'm the younger brother. (laughs) And uh, congratulations, you actually just turned 19. Yes, I did. In this great country of Canada, you are now legal to consume beverages, which means (laughs) you are allowed to come on this podcast anytime you want and get drunk with me. How's that sound? Thank God. How about next week as well? I'm down, Ethan. All right. Any excuse to hang out with you, my friend. (laughs) Perfection. (laughs) So, uh, Ethan, obviously we're going to get to the Beatles, but um, first we also got to... I've got to do something. Yeah, you got to do. I got to introduce what we're what we're drinking. Yeah, got to introduce what we're drinking. Okay, so in light of the fact that Abbey Road was released under the record label Apple 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 Records Mm -hmm. in 1969, Ethan and I are enjoying some lovely apple martinis today. How are you liking yours so far? Now as a a 19 year old legal kid. Yes, I mean I do like it because vodka has usually been my liquor of choice. Yeah. Um. Um. I think it is. It's very vodki vod vodic. I don't know how to describe it. It's just it's there's vodka. There's just a in lot it. of vodka. There's a really. lot of vodka. That's the best way to describe it. But there is a nice apple flavor to it, which I dig. You know, it, it, I mean, given an apple martini, I'm happy that that that's what you taste. Yeah, you know, because if it was anything else. And I know our listeners uh, they can't see this at this moment. However, Ethan is rocking uh, an apple, a sour apple 
ring pop mm-hmm. uh as well as an apple garnish in his apple martini so you are living it up truly sir we today. Have iphones too because apple you know true yeah Steve absolutely Jobs. there you go just good segue <laughs> <laughs> Segwaying has always been a talent of mine. So, um, so for any of our listeners who do want to maybe make this drink at home, if you're listening along and you want to kind of get in the same mindset as Ethan and I are in right now, which I, to be honest, I'm kind of feeling pretty like even after just like this first mm-hmm. drink that we've had, like they're strong, like they're not they for are, the faint of heart. Yeah, I think there's a reason why James Bond drink drank martinis. Yeah, take off the edge, you know. Well, anyways, we are we, we're basically James Bonding today. Oh yeah, you and I are James Bonding together. You're James, I'm Bond. No, but I meant like we're bonding. Like I was a, that was oh. a plan. Like we're bonding, brother, sister <laughs> time. Get it? So for any of our listeners who want to make this drink at home, there are really only a few things that you need. It's pretty easy. You're going to need one and a half ounces of vodka. You're going to need one and a half ounces of uh, some sort of apple liqueur. You need a teaspoon of lemon juice. And if you do so desire, you can add a slice of a Granny Smith apple for garnish. Throw that all in a shaker and shake, shake, shake it, baby. Mix it all together Twist and, and you shout. get the best. Beetles. Oh, way I think I've um, usurped your role as master of segues. I th- yeah, honestly, I'm not even mad about it. <laughs> All right, Ethan. So uh, what do you say we get started? We start talking about the let's, actual album. Let's do it. This is the thing. I have known you for as long as you've been alive being your older sister. Yeah. I've got a uh, you know, good seven years on you. Mm-hmm. You listening to the Beatles has been something that's actually fairly new in mm-hmm. your life. So yes. can you walk me through how you actually started listening to the Beatles? Because you're a big Beatles fan now. Now, yeah. But more recently. I know. It's weird. It was the same thing with Star Wars. Like now I'm a huge fan, but it took me a long time before I got into it. But for the Beatles... The whole reason I, the first time I got introduced to them, or like the, the the point where I became very interested with them was just in this past year, I stumbled upon this YouTube video of their studio bloopers, and it was just so interesting to me because in my mind, I was always like thinking the, the Beatles are like these really, uh, I don't know. Uh, like, like preppy? Yeah, like no one really knew a lot about them, and no one really knew about like what they were like, and then I watched this video of them, these like these studio bloopers, and they, they were just like these regular guys. They were just like having fun. And it really reminded me of like how I'm like with my friends um, and just how we all like goof around and stuff. And that really interested me. And then that got me to listen to more of their music. I, I, I listened to Let It Be and Hey Jude before, but I listen to them again now and I love them. They're like the best songs ever. So it's kind of like hearing them again almost for yeah. like the first time. It was almost like I needed some time to like before to grow I actually up. appreciated them. Yeah. Yeah. Like now I, at this age, I can finally appreciate them. Similar to you, I didn't like, we didn't grow up listening to Beatles. Like, no. mom and dad were never really like a big Beatles fan. Dad, especially, is I, not I was, a Beatles person. I was surprised. I thought dad was a Beatles fan. Mom is, though. But I mean, like, for me, I honestly didn't even. I maybe knew like the big like Beatles bangers. Like I think the one I knew the best was like I knew Come Together mm-hmm. and I knew um I saw her standing there. Yeah. Uh Hey Jude I knew and I think Here Comes the Sun maybe. Like those were like mm-hmm. the only songs I knew. And then I remember watching Across uh, the Universe which came mm. out in uh 2007. Great movie. That really changed things for me because I actually like like you said like I actually started to listen and understand and maybe it was with the aid of visual representation of what was going on like the Beatles are great storytellers so the fact mm. that somebody was able to put all their songs into a movie and make a story out of it that's what really hit it for me and I remember after you know after seeing the movie that's when like all my friends were listening to Beatles then because we all watched Across the Universe and we were all like obsessed with like it was our age group that really got this like second dose of Beatlemania but this was actually the first time I I own the Abbey Road vinyl and I had listened to it through all the way through before but this was the first time I really kind of like sat down and let it all sink in Mm -hmm. Um, and something I kind of noticed I mean if we kind of want to get into just overall feelings about the album in general the order of the song is 
uh, sorry, the order of the album is very interesting to me. I find it's like it kind of ebbs and flows. Like there's highs of the album in terms of songs that are very happy, songs yep. that are very peppy. Um, even just like when you talk about rhythm and melody, like not even going into like lyrics, but just like the feel of the song mm. is like happier. It's quicker. It's a little bit more light. And then it goes down to these like really grimy, yeah. like trippy kind of tunes. And it comes back up again. And, and it goes between like, you know, it's like a Lennon song, then a Ringo song, then a, then a Paul song, then and a George, then a George, like it, it jumps all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Cause that would make me normally feel pretty disconnected. But meanwhile, it's like it brought the album together in such a nice way. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I, I feel like that kind of it's interesting now looking back because like that was their last album. It was almost like all of them kind of giving their last bow, you know, all four of them having their own kind of moments on the album uh, in their own different ways. I think that was a really cool kind of send off for them. There was a tons of turmoil um, leading up to that point. I think you yeah, hear yeah. that on this record and that makes for almost like a better record, but very bittersweet for the people who love uh, the fans, right? Like the people who love the Beatles. It was probably, it's very, it's probably a very hard record for them to listen to, especially once you get to the end, right? Like the very last song, the end. What would be like a song? Like what's one of your favorites right off the bat? I think, wait, let me just, I want to make sure. Cause why are you laughing already? Because I know what I'm about to say. You're not going to, well, it's between two songs. Just pick one. Octopus's garden. That's your favorite Hell yeah. song. Hell yes. Really? Hell yes. Okay, tell me why. Okay. First of all, Ringo Starr. It's Ringo Starr on the mic. He's an underrated boy. Like, everyone I talk to, whenever I bring up the Beatles, everyone's like, oh, like, John's my favorite, or Paul's my favorite, and some people say George is their favorite. No one ever says Ringo is their favorite. So is Ringo your favorite? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I have a favorite in particular. Like, I feel like they're all... I feel like they're all talent. Like I can find something that I like about all four of them. But really. everybody's got a favorite Beatle. There, there is no favorite Beatle. I'm gonna I quote. Ethan, I'm gonna quote Ethan Hawke on that. There is no favorite Beatle. Ethan Hawke said there is no favorite in a movie. Which movie? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> My favorite Beatle is Paul. Okay. Well, I mean that's fair. I can. I can see that. Can't say I'm wrong. No, you can't. You can't because that's it's your opinion, man. To quote Lebowski. Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, I'm just quoting That's movie like lines at this point. That's like your opinion, man. No, but Octopus's oh, Garden. Oh, we should have drank, um, what does he drink? White Russian? Yeah. Well, that wouldn't work. No, but that wouldn't have worked. No. Uh, White Album. Maybe you can come back and do White Album. We can drink White oh, Russians. Okay. And then we can quote Big Lebowski. Fine. Done. Ethan, what are you doing next Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but my schedule is clear. So. Okay, sorry. Continue. Let's get yeah. back to Octopus's Garden. Okay. So yes. Ringo, he's not your favorite Beatle, but you can appreciate his songwriting, his voice. Of course. What is it that you appreciate? I just think he's like, what I found interesting about this one is that I feel like there's a connection between the ocean and the songs that he writes. Because he also, I'm not too sure if he wrote Yellow Submarine. I know he sings it. They're both about going into the ocean and almost finding peace. Right. And it almost seemed like he was, like in this song, especially in Octopus's Garden, it was almost him trying to find this place where he could escape his anxieties or like things that worry him it was almost like a utopian society he was trying to get to because like he talks about you know all the girls and boys will be happy down here and over i I don't know i think it's just a a very like beautiful song like he's really just trying to find like a perfect world i i agree with you on that i i think in listening to it too i got the same i drew the same kind of conclusion Mm -hmm. about how Ringo was so obsessed with this idea so i remember reading an article that said you know Ringo wrote this song after he found out that octopus like Octo- octopi? Octop- octopi. Uh, 
Octopi. I don't think it's plural. octopi. Octopuses. They're down in the ocean and they grab, you know, shiny things, things that are like cool to them, and they make like gardens out of them. Like okay. that's actually a thing that octopi do. Octopuses do. Octopuses do. <laughs> um, We're trademarking that. But what I like is he says, uh, you know, we sing and dance around because we know we can't be found, and mm-hmm. so I think that alludes to yes, what you said, this like uh, this serenity, this like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. garden of Eden, almost that you're creating this moment of peace. Um, and I think because you know at this time. The Beatles, I mean, during Beatlemania, which what started in 62, went all the way up until they broke up in, in 1970, they they had no uh, escape from mm-hmm. anything. They mm-hmm. were so famous. Like, imagine having that level of fame. Yeah, they cannot escape the, the fact that they're known, and they're known by everybody. Like, this would be great. Like, I'm just going to be, I'm, I'd rather be an octopus than be Ringo Starr. Like, that's a very powerful notion. I think it's also interesting to note, though, it's, it's bad to say, but I, I think it might be true that Ringo was always kind of looked at as the least popular you could also say what you said about him wanting to escape fame but like maybe he just wanted to i don't know maybe find a world where everyone was equal where he didn't have to worry about being the most popular one like john and paul you know like where they're all on the same platform Uh, that's kind of a downer note we're gonna we're gonna pick this up a little (laughs) bit let's let's pick it up So one of the ones that's probably my favorite, which is the first song right off the top, Come Together. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, even just hearing like the beginning bass line of that song, the dun dun dun. It's like, yeah. So you know what they're actually saying? They're saying, shoot me. Shoot, really? I thought they were saying shoop as well. And then I was like looking at the lyrics as I was prepping for, yeah. for, for today. And they're saying, shoot me. Oh. That's on the, one of the songs that I would skip. Uh, come together. You would skip "Come Together." Yeah, I feel like that's one of the most <clears throat> recognizable Beatles songs. But that, it is one of the most recognizable. But I don't really get anything from listening to it. So for me, I, I mean, this is a this is a Lennon song. Okay. And again, we've established my favorite Beatle is John or Paul. No, my favorite <laughs> Beatle is Paul. <laughs> As you take another chomp out of that fucking ring pop. Hell yeah, player. <laughs> um, Ringo pop. So what I like about this song is I like songs where there's almost this like sense of desperation and there's this kind of like griminess. This song is very rough. It's very dirty. And I mean, you brought up earlier how your original interpretation of who the Beatles were, were this very, you know, there's this four piece Beatle, um, sorry, four piece, um, <laughs> preppy rock band from Liverpool. Like they were wearing the ties. They were all kind of like done up. They were British. Like I think we kind of, you know, in North America, we kind of have this like idea that, you know, people who are British are very proper and they're posh. very dignified yeah. and very posh. Exactly. So I like the fact that this, was a different side of the Beatles for me. Um, and I also really love the Joe Cocker version of this song. And it almost like, I feel like people know that. Like they almost think Come Together is a Joe Cocker song more so than it's a Beatles song. I did not know until this year that was John Lennon. Well, and that's the thing. People don't realize, how, like, well, A, the amount of influences that come from mm-hmm. the Beatles. Like the amount of people oh, yeah. who have been able to make a career out of doing something that the Beatles had already kind of done. And then, yes, the cover situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you go out, like, I remember I was at uh, the Horseshoe Tavern a few weeks ago and I saw an artist from Toronto who sang um, Helter Skelter. Oh. And everybody lost their mind because, like, <laughs> because everybody knows these songs. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, even if you don't know the performer that's up there, and she was very talented. Her original songs were very good, but it was the first time I was seeing her, so I couldn't sing along to any of her songs. It's a good crowd-pleasing thing. I think it's a smart move to do as a musician if you can cover it correctly. And I think oh, Joe yeah. Cocker covered it very correctly. Um, what I also like about this one is like I'm a big fan of conspiracies. So you heard about the whole Paul is dead rumor. Oh, is there a thing in here? So I there's didn't know a lyric that. in here where he goes, one and one and one is three. People kind of use that as evidence towards this Paul is dead because one and one and one is three, three Beatles. 
not oh, four. Okay. Right? Enough, so, like, enough. there's three Beatles left once Paul is dead. And, I mean, like, for those of you listening who maybe don't know about this rumor, essentially the Abbey Road album caused a little bit of controversy, controversy because of this rumor that got started that Paul McCartney was dead. And they replaced him with somebody who looked exactly like Paul McCartney, sang yeah. exactly like Paul McCartney, spoke exactly like Paul McCartney. Um, and if you're actually looking at the cover um, of the Abbey Road, it's obviously got that iconic shot of them walking across the street. Yep. And Paul McCartney's barefoot, where the rest of them are wearing shoes. And so that kind of people kind of do the conclusion like he's up in in heaven where he doesn't need shoes i don't know well it's (laughs) little known fact you don't need to wear shoes in heaven would you i mean like if you're dead conspiracies are fun let's be honest here. absolutely and i said i love conspiracies i don't believe it yeah but i like the idea of it so i I think that's why i also like come together um i think it's just a good song uh all in all um what's another song you really like ethan what was so what was the second one you had to choose between octopus's garden and which one here comes the sun Oh, beautiful song. I love right, Here Comes the Sun. Right? Absolutely. Great. And, and George blew me away with the. I actually, I realized two things this year. One, I did not know that Here Comes the Sun was a Beatles song until this year. Who did you think sang it? I don't know. I didn't know who sang it because <laughs> I remember. Do you think he, it was like Cheryl Crow? Like, from B Movie? From B Movie. Because <laughs> in, in the B Movie at the end, they sing it. That's where I thought, that's the last time I heard that song, like before listening to Abbey Road. Okay, side note, B-Movie is the weirdest fucking movie. It's the best movie of all time. Everyone go and buy a B-Movie at your local Walmart, okay? B-Movie basically insinuates that the girl is going to fuck a bee. Whoa, wait a minute, that never happens. It is platonic. Like she left her fiancé for Barry B. Benson. Her fiancé was a douchebag. But All she left cared him about. for a B. Yeah. So that was the first thing I realized. So first thing was B movie. Second thing. I did not know George Harrison sung it. Oh, okay. I always knew this was a Harrison song. I thought it was John Lennon when I first heard it. Um, and then I realized, no, it's George Harrison. And that kind of, that really blew my mind. I didn't know. Um, it's a beautiful song full of, I think it really gives like a message of hope and joy. Cause it's just saying like, wait for the sun because it's coming. He says, um, you know, all the smiles are turning to their faces. It's been years since they've been there. Um, and it's just, it makes you appreciate like the sunny moments in yeah. life, even when things are total shit. That was one that I really, really liked as well. Ooh, what else did I like? What else did I like? I like, okay, so let's keep on this Harrison train. Okay. I'm a big fan of the Harrison songs. Uh, something. Something. Oh, yeah. Something. I think, uh, I mean, it's a tune about uh, his girlfriend at the time who was Patty Boyd. Um, and what I love, I mean, this song is really short. It's, it's, I think it's maybe just over two minutes yeah, or even less so. than two minutes. Probably it's very, minutes. very quick. Um, but what I like about Harrison, I guess, like similar to Here Comes the Sun, is that he's so simplistic yes. in his lyrics. Yeah, I feel like all the Beatles were like that, really, because like, I feel like a lot today people will look at songs and say, why aren't there more like hidden messages in there and stuff? And yeah. the Be- I feel like the Beatles were very much against it. John Lennon, I know specifically, he was not for like all these hidden messages because people would ask him all the time, what does this mean? What does this mean? He's like, no, it's like, just write what exactly, you feel. Yeah, yeah what just, it just means. Yeah. I think that's why they were so successful is because they were just saying what they wanted to say. They weren't worried about things that they were trying to say, but trying to like make it sound smart. They just were like, no, this is what we're trying to say. Here it is. And that's what I think is the true beauty of something because normally I do appreciate in songs when they can be specific in the sense that if it's a song written about a particular person in your mm. life and they give these like really like clear examples of like things that they love about them. I think that's very, very romantic and I do love it. But this song is something that can apply to anybody who's in a romantic relationship it's so intimate without going into these details it's just like it's something in the way she moves and attracts me like no other lover like that's a very simple line but like if you're in a relationship with somebody you feel that way you're like yeah i feel that like shit (laughs) 
Harrison? Feel that, man. I feel it, dude. You got me, George. That's like your opinion, Georgie man. Boy. What I also think, going back to uh, what I had originally said when we talked about the album as a whole and the way that they chose to order the songs, is it comes it, it comes right after Come Together. Yeah. So it's total juxtaposition from this, like again, what, what I was thinking and my personal opinion is that Come Together is this very grimy, rough around the edges, Beatles tune to something that I think is very... Um, polished yep. a little bit more lighthearted um and it's a harrison versus a lennon like they just they juxt they juxtapose everything that they do in this mm-hmm. album and i thought that was so fucking smart damn straight anyways uh hit me with another one you liked ethan okay another one i liked was oh darling i love oh darling that was gonna be my next one yeah see i i wrote down like it's pure soul it is absolutely because soul to me like i wrote down the words pleading and desperate yes it's almost like he's trying to stay calm, like especially for the beginning when he's doing this, but then all the emotion comes out where he's like, you told me you didn't need me anymore, and he's like yelling. It, but it's funny because it's not an aggressive thing when he does it. Because I think that's he's Paul. He's in control. Yeah. He's in control. Paul's always in control. It, and I think you using the word soul was the, the, perfect, uh, the perfect description of what this song is. I will say, so love, oh darling. The next one that I really loved was Because, which is a Lennon track. Okay. I think it's very underrated. All right. Um, This was the use of harmonies in this song, I think, was so different and so smart, especially for that time in music and for the Beatles, even in general. Like, yes, they harmonized. Like, they all sang, they could all sing, so they could harmonize at any time. But what I was reading about is like, it was a three part harmony. And then what they did is they kind of like multiplied the voices to make it like a nine part harmony. Oh, that's what they. Okay, so it was all them doing that. For me, like, it's, it adds such a depth. If you just heard one person singing it, like if it was just Lennon, I don't think it would have packed the same sort of punch, but because it's got all these different voices melded together and they're hitting all these like notes, like it's just, it's trippy, like for sure, but I, I really liked it. Um, and I think it showed off how experimental mm-hmm. somebody like Lennon was in his composition of the songs and how he chose to record and how he chose to write even like, that's something that I feel like people don't maybe take seriously about the Beatles is that they were experimental. Oh Yeah. And like everything they did really was experimental. Like in every album, I feel like they did something different. Just look at like Sgt. Pepper mm-hmm. and Mystery Tour. Like it's in, it's interesting to see how many different kinds of styles they went through in their ten year career. That's why I like this album because it was very. It was like a combination of everything. Yeah, yeah. It was in, it was like them reaching their maximum amount of maturity. Like they were because they were only in their twenties when they were at their like prime in the 60s going up and then now like this is the time when they were in their 30s uh they were getting older they were starting families and this was yeah like them reaching their adulthood absolutely like, and adulthood. well reaching their adulthood but reaching the end of the beatles as we know exactly yeah. absolutely uh another one i like golden slumbers okay so do you mind if we talk about golden slumbers carry that weight in the end altogether? because that's okay. how they were written because they were like all one minute songs that just lead into each other so the only one i really loved out of the one minute songs was golden slumber really interesting so i would agree i i love golden slumbers i think at the end of the day that song showed off paul mccartney's vocal ability mm. more than anything but what, for me what it kind of like really triggered was the idea of a reprise so like you know when you go see a musical and they bring they bring back songs from earlier on in the musical mm-hmm. it's like okay remember that scene in the office where they go and see andy's play and they go see um uh demon barber sweetie todd yeah yeah demon barber fleet street and like daryl shushes michael at the beginning he's like Shh. he's like if we don't listen to the overtures now we won't understand them when they come back later like that's kind of like what i feel like with this album in carry that weight specifically they go back into you never give me your money and that's what i like the, oh my god like I, f- 
fucking alcohol. You got it. You got it. I appreciate when artists do that in an album. Um, And then I also liked how they ended, like, literally calling a song the end, Mm -hmm. especially knowing that this was going to be the end. And, like, that song, you you, you mentioned earlier, like, they knew this was going to be their last one. Oh, yeah. They all got their own guitar solo. Mm -hmm. Like, Lennon got a solo. McCartney got a solo. Harrison got a solo. Ringo got a drum solo. Oh, yeah. And they end with, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. That's so powerful because you could so easily have so much bad blood between a band and they were like, no, you know what? It's going to be a peaceful thing. We're going to go all our own way. So I, this three song medley I thought was perfect. Yeah. Perfect, honey. Yeah, they did keep it peaceful with that. They didn't want to, they didn't want to have beef with each other. I mean, I feel like the beef probably came on later on in the years when Lennon and Paul kind of fired shots at each other. They did it in like uh, the way like friends should. They were like, yeah. we have differences, but we made something beautiful. We've done beautiful work for the past like 10 years. And let's just end it with more love. Absolutely. All you need is love, as they would say. Aw, oh, so yeah, nice. player. Well, you know what, Ethan? I think uh, unless you have other songs that are on your, your love list, I think that's a good place to end our love and maybe go into some of the things that we yeah. don't love. Yeah, no, I think would that's... Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Were there any songs that you did not love on this album? Um, there were three. Maxwell Silverhammer is the first one that I do not like. That's on my list too. I like weird songs, but this one was like a very weird, weird. Totally. Like, especially when it's like, bang, bang, she's dead. (laughs) 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 Maxwell just totally killed a woman with a silver hammer. So I did Google the lyrics to this song because I'm like you where I'm like, I would kind of like half sing along to this song. This one it's kind of just like a madman. So if you read the lyrics, like it's like, oh, bang, bang, yeah. Maxwell Silver Hammer, hammer comes down upon her head and she's dead. Bang, like, bang, she's dead. Bang, bang, <laughs> like Joan is dead. Um, <laughs> so you are correct. Like that is what the song is about. Uh, yeah, it just left me confused. It was, I don't know what to feel about it. And it wasn't like uh, the melody was, usually the other songs on the album even if they're weird, it's like the melody's interesting and I'm able to yeah. get into it. But this one was, I don't know, I just wasn't able to feel anything from this except confusion. For me, what this song reminded me of was having songs that are about something that's very dark mm. um, and very evil, but with an upbeat tune. So immediately what where my mind went was um, Pumped Up Kicks by Foster Ooh. the People, which is about the Columbine shooting. Yeah. And I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats, which is, you know, a Bob Geldof written tune, which is about this woman who went and shot up this playground. Like, you know what I mean? Like Damn, yeah. songs that you listen to and to the beat, like you listen to Pumped Up Kicks. I remember when that song came out, I had no clues about Columbine. If you listen to the lyrics, like, you know, you better run, better run faster than my bullet. Yeah. Yeah, like that's pretty blatant. Like they don't even try and hide it. I can appreciate the fact that they wanted to take something that was kind of dark and twisty and evil and make it into something that was maybe more fun. But I'm like, is that the right choice? Like, does that not discount the tragedy of it all? Like this, you know, Maxwell, let's call him Maxwell. Like he was a killer of women. Cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I I can't, I can't be singing this song in my car without thinking like this man is a psychopath and he Mm -hmm. should be in jail and this is wrong and this is bad i feel like the difference between i'm glad you brought up pumped up kicks because that's actually a good thing to compare it to i think the main difference between those two though is because if you look at the beat or like the way the song is composed in pumped up kicks it's almost in a way where it's so catchy you don't have time to think about what the lyrics are Mm -hmm. like you're almost thinking them in your head and you're not like comparing it to anything with this it was still, it wasn't upbeat enough 
for me to ignore what they were saying. I so could, you got it right I, as you As were. soon as I listened to it, I was like, okay, so they're literally singing about a guy who kills women. Oh, see, I, and I didn't get it. Yeah, I got it as soon as they said, I'm like, why are, why are they singing about it, this guy? And, you know, I don't understand. I, and I feel like that's where it could have been done differently. I feel like if it had been more catchy then, and, you know, people were able to ignore the lyrics and more focus on what the melody was. Because I think that's what, even what people do today. Like some people probably still don't know that song is about Columbine, but they still sing it anyways because it's so catchy and it's still an upbeat song. I feel like that's the message that they're trying to send when they write these sorts of songs. And I, it's it's like almost them saying, "Have awareness." Totally, I'm with you. Yeah, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah, it was. It, it will be a song that I think I'm always going to skip. I'm never going to be like on a road trip driving somewhere being like, oh, I want to listen to Maxwell Silver Hammer. Like, fuck me up. Like, no. I hear it and I'm kind of like, meh, and yeah. I skip it. Like, that's kind of how my relationship with this song is. I feel that. So, I mean, we already talked about another song that I skip, which is Octopus's Garden. For the most part, I'm pretty neutral about the rest of the songs on the record. I did bucket She Came In Through the Bathroom Window as a song that I didn't love. In the scope of the rest of this record, it was the most forgettable to okay. me. There was nothing like, I think it's an interesting story because it was about a fan who broke into Paul McCartney's apartment through the bathroom window. (laughs) To be honest, there's nothing I can even quote. There's no lyrics I can even quote. There's no cool guitar riffs. There's nothing that for me triggers like, did you just spit all over my table? My ring pop is leaking. No, that was your spit. That was not my spit. That is the green green ring pop. That is sour apple saliva on my table. That is green ring pop residue. And you know it. Where the lights all wipes. Get me some disinfectant. I did want to get your take on uh, I Want You, parentheses, She's So Heavy. That was actually one of the songs I would skip. My exact words as I was saying this, because I I was thinking of Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, uh, with the scene with Mike Myers as the music agent that they try to go to for um, A Night at the Opera. My exact words was that it takes too long to change out of its repetitive style. And it takes bloody forever for him to stop saying he wants me so bad. <laughs> because. You sound like Austin Powers. I know. I mean, they have other repetitive songs. Like they have Hey Jude. I think the main difference is the beginning. Because the beginning of this one, when you look at Hey Jude, it's at the beginning. There's a bunch of different verses. It's three minutes of John, from what I remember, just saying. I want you so bad. I don't know. It, it just, it kind of, it took me too long to get into it. I didn't get into it. I think the biggest thing I took from this song was this idea of insanity from love, mm. which I think has been emulated in pop culture Yeah, m- more so than anything else. Like I wrote down in my notes, is this the 1969 version of crazy in love? Because that's to me what it is. It's John Lennon. Like John Lennon wrote this for Yoko or he wrote this about Yoko. And it was like, I want you so bad. It's driving me mad. Like literally, I love this person so much. I'm obsessed with this person so much that it's like borderline unhealthy. Like She's so heavy. It's just she's like She's so heavy. Him. Like she's weighing on me so much. Like that's that's what I found interesting about this song. Yeah. Is it my favorite? No. Is, do I hate it? No. It's kind of like in this Swiss neutral zone of uh, my Beatles, my Beatles area area the idea of it being some specific person that is so heavy it might be a lot but i also feel like if you're in that space where you think that somebody means that much to you where they're like they're gonna literally drive you insane then i understand it they're gonna drive you mad again simplicity it's true he's just saying what he meant he's saying exactly what he meant um and yeah it's a long fucking song it's like seven 
over seven, seven bloody minutes, minutes. It's seven bloody minutes. It goes on forever. I pity a wife if six minutes is forever. Uh, okay, so Ethan, look. Um, I mean, we've gone through. <laughs> we haven't gone through every song on the album. No. But I think we've gone through, I think, our highs. We've gone through majority. our lows. We've been drinking these lovely apple martinis. Yes. Since the time we started recording, we have dropped some cherry blasters into our sour martinis to see what it would happen. Turns out nothing, except for the fact that it tastes a little bit sweeter. And they probably soaked up all the alcohol all of it. once we eat it. If you had to rate Abbey Road... The 1969 masterpiece record of the Beatles out of five apple martinis. Can you hit me with a rating right now? Zero. No. <laughs> that <laughs> I know would be that's too not harsh. fucking true. I think I would give it. I would give it a four out of five. Four out of five. Okay, tell me more. I think there were uh, obviously there are brilliant songs on here. Some of their most iconic songs. But then there were songs that I mean I I'm sure there are probably people who love Maxwell Silverhammer and I want you so bad. And I just was one of the people who didn't like it. And I wasn't a big fan of the... I mean, I do like it when there's those like one-minute kind of pieces that lead into one big song. But this one, I wasn't really up for it, except for Golden Slumber. I really liked that one in particular. So you weren't like a... You didn't really like Mean Mr. Mustard, Polythene Pam. How I imagine John or Paul, how they wrote it, they basically came in and they were like... They put on their headphones. Like, this is the whole bit I had. It's like they put on their headphones. It's like... Mr. Mustard is a mean old man. Okay, we're good. We're good. And they just take off their headphones and they walk out. <laughs> like that's all. That's all I pictured for it. Because that's all I took away from it. Is just he's an old man. Did you understand that Mean Mr. Mustard was written about a homeless guy who kept money up his butt? <laughs> no. Going back to what I would rate it out of five. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, we went on a major Mr. Mustard tangent. Yeah, I would give it a five out of five. Like it is a five out of out of five. Wait, in my would you heart, give it a four or a five? It, it, let me finish. I would give it a five out of five in my heart because it's Beatles. Yeah. I give it a four out of five just because of the songs like Maxwell Silverhammer, I Want You So Bad in the One Minute. You know what? Four out of five. Four point five out of five. Four point five out of five. You know what? I'm going to give it a five. You give it a five? Damn. I'm going to give it a five. Here's the reason why. I'm being too harsh. No, no, no. I don't think you're being too harsh at all. It's all subjective. Right? It's all subjective. Fair enough. Art. I think I'm going to give it a five out of five because... Vodka all over my pants. (laughs) 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 I'm going to give it a five out of five. You didn't spill all over your pants. I see it on your shirt. But anyways, I'm going to give Abbey Road by the Beatles five out of five because I think it's pretty amazing how an album from 40 years ago is 40 79, 89, 99, 2009, 2019, 50 years ago, an album from 50 years ago is able to relate to what's going on right now. So like, even though I put Octopus's Garden on my do not like list, I think it's amazing that I can still understand where Ringo was coming from Mm -hmm. today. Like I, I think it's important that me as a 25-year-old woman living in 2019 can still appreciate what the Beatles wrote. Like, that's, to me, that's timeless. Like, that's the reason why they should be put up on this pedestal. Like, there's a reason why they're the greatest rock band of all time. Like, yes, if I was, if I was talking to somebody who had no idea what any of these songs were, I would want them to listen to this album because they get a huge array of different genres they get a huge array of different songwriters they get an array of different vocalists different styles different subject matter like there is something for everybody on this album i would be like listen you want to get some apple martinis and get fucked up that's exactly what you said to me (laughs) well ethan look like i i really appreciate you coming and talking about abbey road with me today oh yeah 
I appreciate you drinking some some fine ass apple martinis with me today. Thank you for making them for us. You're welcome. It's and perfect. I love you, kid. I'm so happy that you and I can now legally get uh, fucked up together. Yeah, we're gonna have so much fun. So much fun. So much fun. We're gonna get blackout. No, <laughs> not that crazy. That Black album. Here. here it comes. We're gonna- <laughs> you heard of the white album? Get ready for the blackout album. <laughs> well, Ethan, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for having Let's me. Let's enjoy these rest of these apple martinis and um, just let it be, fam. Let it be. Oh, yeah.